Hey, this is Scotty Vermeen from Daniel Boone Baptist Church in Gate City, Virginia. I'm the interim pastor and would like to invite you to worship with us at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We also have Bible study at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Check us out on Facebook at Daniel Boone Baptist Church where you will find weekly sermons and daily interaction to keep you in touch with the Lord and to keep you in touch with His kingdom. somebody's doing your kids wrong hey pastor Barnes you know what you think somebody's doing your kids wrong you're ready to fight you know what I'm talking about uh, and I'm sure that most of you if not all of you have been there but we were kind of dealing with that and uh, the good Christian that I was I was going to handle it biblically but but I remember Leanne saying something like I'm going to let God fix it because if I fix it I'm probably going to jail yeah you already been there yeah opposition a lot of times comes um in different forms, but as we walk in Christ and we attempt to walk in faith, it seems to, uh, opposition seems to come out in, in fleshly form. It's usually with people, isn't it? You know, I don't get real aggravated at my truck anymore if it tears up or something goes wrong with the house. We'll get it fixed, but when somebody makes me mad, you know what I mean, or somebody hurts one of my loved ones, you know, I can get a little carnal, but uh, we all can get there, but I think some natural carnal responses to opposition are these. One is fear. Let me tell you something about fear. The results of what you fear have a better chance of coming to fruition if you allow fear to dictate your decision. You hear, hear what I'm saying? You've got to have something bigger than fear to dictate your decision. Anger is another carnal or natural response to opposition. We oftentimes get angry. I've learned as I get older, and I don't always do it well, but when I feel anger coming up, I, I learn to deal with my anger first and then go back and deal with the situation because I can't see clearly when I'm angry. And I don't know if that's anybody else's uh, experience, but anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires for the believer. And then lastly, I think an, another natural response to opposition is we withdraw, quit. Instead of facing opposition, because I don't like it. Y'all like opposition and tension and fight and struggle. None of us like that. I don't like to have arguments and things of that nature. But at the same time, some, some endeavors are worth sticking it out for. Does that make sense? And so uh, opposition will sometimes cause fear, anger, and withdrawal. And that's the enemy's goal. If he can't have our souls, okay, if he can't have our souls, then he will either cause us to quit or he will cause us to be so busy that we can't be about God's work. And so you need to know that about him. But with God, he goes before me, Jesus Christ beside of me, teaching me how to walk, and the spirit within me, I can learn how to face opposition. And so today I want to ask you the question, how do you view opposition? How do you view tension? How do you struggle? I've coached for a long time, and when I, when I think about uh, building a team, for two months, we go through crazy kind of struggle. And some of it I put on them, and some of it the, the environment puts on them. But there's something good that comes out of struggle. The title of today's message is Interpreting Opposition. Interpreting Opposition. It's wise to have the right interpretation when you face opposition. Raise your hand if you have faced opposition in the last week. Amen. Go to Joshua chapter Joshua chapter 6. This passage, we're going to read two two uh, verses. You know, a few weeks ago, I told you that I read all day on Saturday one day. I read like three, two books of the Bible or something. I couldn't get past two verses. And so we're going to look at two verses today. Now, we'll look at some more in the Bible as well, and we'll look at some other passages. But we're really going to focus on Joshua 6, verses 1 and 2. They've crossed the Jordan, 
And now they're getting ready to enter in, and they have entered into the promise where God has called them. They are entering into the promise. Go to Joshua chapter 6 and stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's word if you're able. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about how fear had stricken the land and the people, the enemy that was in the promised land, and uh, Moses didn't even know it. You remember that? It's still there. And here's the thing I think about opposition. Some people are opposed to you because they know your rights. Okay? Remember I said that. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. They had heard. They knew they were coming. So they built walls around Jericho. And they shut the gates so nobody could get in. It says none went out and none came in. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua. I love this. See? I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. Heavenly Father God, thank you for this word. And thank you, God, that you caused me to hang up on the word sin. Lord, as we uh, venture into our week this week, we're going to face opposition. And I pray that this word today would give us ammunition on how to face opposition in the right way. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless your word. Basically, verse 2 says, see, I've given you, I've given you this, this land, this territory. Jericho was a city that was, that was the first place that they came to, the first fortified uh, base that they came to when they entered into the promised land, and basically perceptions or perspectives had changed. You remember when the 10 spies or the 12 spies came back and they, they convinced Moses that the enemy was too big? Well, Joshua had moved the people on past that. They crossed the Jordan, and now they're, they're coming to their first battle. And we said last week that we must be very careful when we're interpreting conflict because when we get saved, we know that things are better, but there's still a struggle, Okay. And so you need to interpret opposition and conflict. The thing that God gave me or that God gave you that, that accompanies so much hardship can also be the thing that brings you so much joy and fulfillment. I think of coaching. For 23 years I coached. And, and to tell you that it went great would be a lie. It didn't go great. It, it was actually I remember the hard stuff more than I remember the good stuff. There were many times that I would lay, lay awake at night. As a matter of fact, I can tell you, tell you of two nights that I didn't sleep at all because of an event that was taking place the next day. It caused me a whole lot of struggle and a whole lot of pain. But the same thing that caused me struggle, pain, and hardship brought so much fulfillment and joy to my family. It was a wonderful voyage for us. It was 23 years of joy, but it was tough. And that's the way the walk is sometimes. We, uh, we, when we as Christians determine to walk in the fruit of the Spirit in faith on the path that God puts us on, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. So how do you interpret opposition? You know, Dave and I worked up here. We've worked for several weeks trying to get camera stuff right because I know there's some folks in our church that can't come and they want to see it. And that's the primary reason we do that. And, and it took us weeks just to get a camera to work the right way. And we've worked with about three, cam two or three cameras. Uh, and so there's opposition. And sometimes that's the enemy trying to throw a kink in things, you know, trying to keep them marching forward. But basically, this is what it looks like when we get to opposition. But it's really not what it looks like. And as mature Christians, we have to start looking at opposition, especially in the fleshly form, in a different manner. Remember that the Bible says that our war is not against people. It's against the principalities and powers of this dark age. So we have to be careful not to get in wars with flesh, wars with people. It's kind of like we said last week. It's, it's kind of upside down. You know, the kingdom of God is kind of an upside down kingdom. Like things that, like being kind to unkind people don't make sense. You know what I'm saying? Loving people who don't love you doesn't really make sense. The world tells you to treat others 
as they have treated you. And your emotions will tell you that too. But God's word is, is con to the contrary on that. Matthew 20, 16 says this. It says, the first shall be last. Jesus said it, and the last shall be first. That's contrary to what the world's going to tell you. Luke 6, 27 says, to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now tell me how easy that is. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. You've been cursed, and maybe you haven't been cursed to your face, but you've heard people talking behind your back. We've all had that, haven't we? It says, bless those people. Pray for them right quick. You know, I think an instant prayer for about three seconds is good. Might keep you from going to jail, you know. It says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Listen, somebody here and maybe all of us need this because this week and last week and next week, you're going to have some tensions and problems. Being, being kind to unkind people, why would we do that? Well, there's a reason why, because they probably need it the most. They probably don't experience kindness. And so if they can experience kindness through you, you've sowed a good seed. What about developing the art of forgiveness? Now, let's talk about that for a second. Developing the art of forgiveness. Here's the deal. I'm going to be honest. People mess up all the time, but let's give them a break. They're probably either doing what they were taught, okay, and they may even be doing the best that they can, okay? They may be doing the best that they can. Y'all like the TV? You trying to find me, Dave? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm right on it. Y'all like those? Isn't that cool? I got a little pointer here that works sometimes. Thank you, Dave. But love your enemies and do good to those that curse you. I've learned that my emotions are usually not the best counsel. Have y'all ever learned that? My emotions are not good. My emotion is not a good counsel. Uh, Pastor Barnes is here. Wave at everybody, Pastor Barnes. Uh, he's taught me so much over the years, but Pastor Barnes always used to say, and I've heard it so many times, that your feelings have a place in your life, but they don't belong in the driver's seat. So don't let them be in the driver's seat. Now, they have a place. It, it's what drives us and gives us, uh, gives us emo emotions, give us passion but they don't belong in a driver's seat and so my interpretation of opposition has become this listen to me. i must be on the right path if the devil's spending this much time trying to get me off of this path you know what i mean i used to see opposition as this isn't god's will for me that's not the case anymore. i believe when we get on the right path i believe the enemy the world and the flesh do everything that it can to get us off and so you need to view or interpret opposition in the right way now that we understand what opposition is, we, we understand that it's a trainer. It's like a good coach. It's a tool. It's not a closed door. Let me say that again. Opposition is a tool. Resistance is a tool. It's not a closed door. When you're lifting weights, how do you get stronger? By lifting light weights all the time or by lifting heavy weights? Now, there's a catch. You can't put too much on you because you'll never get it up and you'll just go to failure. You have to put just enough on you that, that's over your limit that will allow you to still pro progress or proceed, and a good trainer knows that. And so God is our trainer, and he knows how much opposition to give us to help us to grow stronger. Opposition is a trainer. It's a tool. It's not a closed door. I want to interject this. Some of us view failure. I don't like failure. We were watching a game last night, and we were talking about a youngin that, that could and should, and we would like to see him go in there and try to score more, but he doesn't like to fail. And I've known this. I've coached him forever. He doesn't like to miss a shot. He doesn't like doing that. So instead of going in there and doing it, he just lets his game go elsewhere because he don't want to fail. And that's a, that's a good trait, too. There's nothing wrong with that. But some of us and some of you view failure as a personal flaw. Raise your hand if you've ever viewed failure as a personal flaw. Well, I must have something wrong with me. I got something wrong with me. What about a shortcoming? I just don't, I just don't have enough. It's something I'm short of. And so some of you view failure that way when in all actuality, it's a necessary part of growth. It's a necessary part of growth. And so I would say this to you. 
to that person, get back on your horse. Don't stop. If you allow one failing event or one failure at home or one mistake or maybe ten mistakes, there's not a number on it. The Bible says how many times are we to forgive people? Seventy times seven. Now, don't start marking them off and go 490, and when you get to 489, you tell them it's your last chance. That's not what it means. <laughs> get back on your horse. And I want to say this to you as well, and somebody needs to hear this. When we bring up other people's failures to them because we, we want to make sure we keep, them, keep our thumb on them, you're acting like the devil. You're acting like the devil in the body of Christ. Okay, that's how the world acts. We shouldn't act that way. We should forgive, and I, I can go into this deep if you want to, but I don't really want to. We should forget and we should restore. Now, now, don't take my word restore and think that people get restored to the same places and positions that they were before they messed up. That's not biblical. There's consequences to every action and inaction that we have, even as Christians, okay? But in our hearts, we are to restore people to their rightful place as a child of God. They made a mistake. Quit bringing it back up. Y'all got that? Quit bringing it back up. Now, let's move on. Opposition. What does Peter tell us to do? I was right on track, Dave. You thought I was off. Hey, by the way, he's my Abishai. I told y'all that last week. Like, who was it told you that? Cuba? Cuba told you that, wasn't it? We were talking, uh, he was talking to Cuba. Remember, Mr. Porter came and preached a little, and they were talking about, he was talking about me, and Porter said, you know him that well? And he said, yeah, we're like brothers. Uh, I think for everybody, and he's not my only one, but there's more. My wife, obviously, one, but God gives us people to go to war with, uh, our helpmates, and so yoke up with those people. But what does Peter say? In first, I'm going to go to 1 Peter 4.12. I'm going to give you three things that Peter tells us to do to opposition. I'm going to read it to you. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which will try you as though some strange thing has happened. You know, when it hits me in the face now, as, as a maturing believer, I am nowhere near where, I, where I'm wanting to go, but as a maturing believer, I start to recognize the enemy, and I'm not as surprised by him when opposition. Number two says to love your enemies, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We don't experience blessing if we allow anger and judgment and all that stuff to take over our minds. It says to love our enemies. And then thirdly, Peter says to do good. He says in verse, verse 19, chapter 4, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. In what? Good. We ought to spend our day doing good. Most of you, or some of you, not most, some of you wake up with tension on your mind trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to make it through the day and live with these people that I go to work with, school with, or live with in this house maybe. But if we focus on doing good, God will reward us as a faithful creator. And then chapter 2, verse 15 in First Peter says, For this is the will of God, that by doing what? Good. You may put to silence the ignorance of foolish. I said this earlier, and I mean it. A lot of times the opposition comes because whatever you're in opposition with knows that you're right, according to the Word of God. And so they put up walls, and they put steel gates up, and they lock them. Verse 1 says that nobody comes in and nobody goes out. We're not moving. That's how the world acts. Now, we don't have to argue our way through the Word. The Word will stand on its own and stand by itself, but do good. And so I want us to look at a parable that Jesus to teach his disciples. If you would, go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We'll start in verse 24. The parable of the wheat and the tares. The literal interpretation of this parable is basically this. There's coming a day when, when the Lord will have a harvest. And he will separate believers and unbelievers. Okay? But right now is not that day. We are actually growing with unbelievers as believers. Okay? 
and it says that we'll grow up together. Now, before we read this, I want to interject a couple things. Some people, some people like to pull up tares or, or think that they're going to pull up tares or pull up other people's tares. Bible's very clear. When you pull up tares, when you try to uproot an unbeliever, you'll pull up believers with them. It says that when you pull uproot tares, you'll also uproot wheat. So let them both grow together. Let them both grow together. Okay? So make sure we hear that when we hear this parable. But I want to go to uh, verse 24. says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went on his way. Question. Do all of you try to sow good seed in your life? Do right. It's not a trick question. Yeah, we do, don't we? We all try to do right, don't we? We go to church. We read our word. We read the word. We also pray. We try to be nice to people. And we sow good seed. And then it says... And I don't want to change the I don't want to change the meaning of this passage. The literal interpretation is about the harvest, believers and unbelievers. But, but it speaks to me as personally as well. Here's what I mean: like like I try to be good, but when I mess up, somebody and we're going to talk about that in a minute too always wants to point it out, don't they? Do you? I know you guys that are in school. I know you experience that. I know you do gossip, the gossip mill, and things of that nature. But anyway, I try to do right. But while men slept, what does that mean? But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed weed seed. Here's what it means to me. It's easy to find my flaws, and it's easy for me to find your flaws. But I didn't mean for them things to be sown in my life. Somebody sowed it there, an enemy. The enemy knows when to sow things in your life. And here's, we're going to read on in verse 26, but I want you to be able to recognize that the enemy throws seed at you when you start doing it. Has anybody ever experienced that? This week, somebody says something to me, and this is kind of personal testimony. That gave me a spirit of incompetence, and in, have you ever had that come over you? And it was just a, it was just a comment that somebody made, and for 30 minutes I felt incompetent. And then the Lord reminded me, and thank God I was studying this passage because it all was put there on purpose. I'm not judging that person because God allowed it to happen so He could teach me. But he, but then He reminded me that He determines who I am. You hear what I'm saying? That nobody can speak incompetence. I listen to my Father. Now, if he says I am, then I got some changing I need. But that spirit hit me, and for about 30 minutes, honestly, it took me 30 minutes to recognize it. And the moment I recognized that this was not of God, I threw it away. Just patted myself on the back. It's the first time in two or three weeks I've done something the right way. This is going angry, right? But no, really, I did. I threw it away. I said, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to consider the comment anymore. It's gone. And I want to say this to you: Be careful who you allow to speak to your heart careful who you allow to speak. Surround yourself with people who have the same heart that you. Hear what I'm telling you. Your circle needs to have people that have this, not the same desires, not the same goals, not the same profession, the same heart, the same heart. You need to recognize the enemy is a liar. Really, God's the only one that has the right to but he uses other people. And so put those people in your foxhole. Verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, which came first, the wheat or the tares? When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also tells me that when things good grow in our life, beware, watch out, the tares are getting ready to grow as well. See, with increase, that's the way increase is. The bigger, the greater, the more usable, the more, more profitable a thing becomes, the more problems it is as well. When I think about coaching, um, me, just me personally, and the program that, that, that I was a part of, it got so big for me that it, it caused me to not really enjoy it. And, and it was really it was really the Lord moving me on does that make sense to you it wasn't it wasn't anything about the people i was with just god's timing sometimes things grow and when they grow and get so big you have so many more problems and that's what that verse means to me i don't know what it means but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop then the tares also appeared the bigger the crop 
the more tares. So you need to be prepared for that. The Bible also says that we ought to thank God for the, for, for the simple life. If God gives you joy in what you, and allows you to experience blessing by the works of your hands, that's a blessing. It says, verse 27, so the servants of the owner came and said to him. Now these servants had to be pretty close to the owner. And they're the ones that came to him and said, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Did you not take your kids to church? Did you not read your Bible, what it says about that? Did, did, you, not, did you not go to Sunday school and go to youth group? You know, do all the things you're supposed to. There's some weeds growing in your garden. Don't you love it when people point out your weeds? Don't you love that? I don't. So, so the servants of the owner. And here's what, here's what makes me think. These are people that were close. Sometimes it's the people that's closest that can say just the right thing or maybe just the wrong thing to point out weeds. And that's what they did. It said, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does this have tares? Be very careful what you also speak to other people because it's with our tongue that we can light things on fire for good and it's with our tongue that we destroy things. So be very careful how you speak. And I've learned to, we said it a few weeks ago, close my mouth and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> Y'all remember that quote? All right, let's go to verse 28. It said, the owner said to them, an enemy has done this. If you're experiencing, and I would say this for any parent who's experiencing a wayward child or a child that may have grown into an adult and they're still experiencing difficulties with addictions of that nature, don't get to a place where draw the line and say it's over, I'm done. Because, it, And I know you don't and I know you won't because it's your child, but, but for those people, especially the house of God, they didn't mean to get that way. An enemy an enemy sowed seed when you wasn't looking and they wasn't looking. And I think that the word that we need to be thinking about, let me back up and see if I can find it, is looking. It says, an enemy said, an enemy done this, the servant said to him, no, let me back on up. It's worth looking at. I'll just explain it to you. There's a word in there, it's called looking. It says, when we, when, when we weren't looking, when men weren't looking, an enemy came and, and sowed seed. Here's what I think about that word looking. When we allow ourselves to stop going to church, stop reading the Bible, stop associating with people who do, and we decide to get comfortable, what we do is we let our guard down. We stop looking. When we are looking and paying attention, the Bible says to be vigilant, be aware, be sober-minded, because the enemy is roaming and he's seeking for those whom he may what? Devour. And so when we're asleep, when we're not paying attention, that's when he, that's when he hits us. When we're comfortable and we think we're doing pretty good, that's when he hits us. So we have to be very careful, very careful. Verse 28, an enemy has done this. The enemy will throw these on you. Let me throw these things at you. The enemy will throw the spirit of oppression on you. It'll happen in a moment. In, in, am I the only one that's ever experienced that? I can be just fine and all of a sudden I'm oppressed. He'll just throw it on you. I don't, I don't understand it, but that's, I call it, out, I call it out for what it is. It's a lie. He will throw a spirit of incompetence on you. You start feeling like you're not worthy. That's a lie. God created you just as you are. You're worthy. He'll throw a spirit of anger on you. And that can just be carnal, but it can also be long-term. Have you ever went weeks and weeks and been angry at a situation? That's not of God. He'll throw a spirit of fear on you. He'll throw a spirit of unforgiveness on you, unbelief, doubt, insignificance, and unworthiness. And so you need to be careful and be looking because the enemy tries to throw stuff at you, and you'll feel justified when it happens. I'm, you know, somebody did this to my son or my daughter. I'm justified in my anger, and I'm going to try to keep my wife from going. You know, that kind of thing. And so you got to be very careful that you don't allow justified emotions to steer your heart and your mind and your spirit in the wrong direction. Verse, verses not uh, 29 and 30. Verse 29 says, but he said, no. Because the, 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 servant, the servant said, do you want me to go and gather them up? And he said, no. 
lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the job is to take care of unbelievers and those who oppose you. Yours, according to this, it's God. And it happens at the harvest. See, certain things grow up and you see it, but it needs to come to fruition to where you see the fruit. And when you see their fruit, you'll know who they are. And it doesn't mean you need to uproot them and fix them. It just needs to be looking, sober-minded, on guard, not to put them in a circle. Be careful not to put those peachy wagon You know what I mean? And we too can be like that sometimes, even as believers. But verse 30 says this, Let both of them grow together until the harvest. It's not our job to pick the Let God do this. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the first, Gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn it's not our job to eliminate all the tares from about us that's god's job what are we called to do love 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 god love your neighbor new testament commands right that's what we're called to do and so spend your time loving now, i want to say this and i don't know exactly how to say it but i think one act of obedience opens a door and until we obey and we move forward that door is going to remain closed but one act of obedience opens a door and what you couldn't see on the other side of that door now you can see and as I walk in that reality, another act of obedience, when God calls us to it, will open another door. And what I couldn't see on the other side of the other door, now I can see. God keeps us. The Bible says he's, he's a lamp unto my feet so I can pay attention to my surroundings. That's today. And he's a light unto my path. That is the direction I'm going. Now, again, I believe that he'll give you the light that you need. It won't shine too far, but it'll shine just far enough. And so that's how we're to live our life. And so I would say this to you, to me. Practice obedience and put some of these things to practice when you're tackling uh, opposition because it's going to happen. You're going to come into opposition, especially you guys that are just learning. You, know, you guys are in high school and college and elementary. You guys are learning how to deal with people, and that's a tough thing to do. So I want to ask you three questions, and I'm done. Where are you experiencing opposition? Some of you can finger on it right now. Where are you experiencing opposition? Apply some of these truths. Second question, is God speaking to you about developing a different strategy? Instead of hating that person, should I love, love you? Instead of being unkind back, should I be kind? Should I sow that seed? Instead of being mad about it, probably the Bible tells me today to forgive them move forward. Doesn't it? That's what the Bible says. The Bible's the same yesterday and today and forever. It never changes. Maybe God's calling you to a different strategy. And then lastly, is the love of God being displayed in your responses to the opposite? Because that's the key. How we respond to situations more about us than it does about our feelings or about our uh, about what we desire to happen. I, I've heard it said this way too. Um, value don't value your position value the person so bow your heads with me. before we pray i want to ask you is there an area of your life or maybe someone close to you that's facing opposition and could i agree in prayer today that god will help you to take the steps to eliminate this opposition or to overcome raise your hand if that's you overcoming opposition hands everywhere heavenly father lord you saw the hand god you know the needs of your people and god you met with us today and i'm very thankful god as we face whatever we're going to face this week in the coming weeks in the coming months lord we know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. God, we're more than conquerors. In, and so we proclaim that and declare that over this congregation. And Lord, we also pray that you would give us courage to face them. Lord, sometimes you eliminate it. Sometimes you take it out of the way. But God, go before us. And it's not, if it's not something you're going to take out of the way, if you plan to use it as a trainer, as a tool, give us courage. So I pray for courage for each person here. And Lord, I pray for salvation for anybody that doesn't know you. God, I pray today would be that day. I just ask God that you bless this church to help us to move forward and help us to do your will. Help us to preach the gospel. Help us to help us to love one another. God, the, the most important thing we do inside this church, God, is to love one another. That's the picture the world needs. That's our prayer and our desire today. And God, now as we uh, as we close, we're going to request to just ask that you do a mighty work. We love you and thank you.